Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Well, shalom, shalom. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana. And wherever you are listening today, I just want to say thanks for joining us. If it's your first time stopping by IBR, then welcome. And we hope you find that uh, interesting and or intriguing at least and um, have a good time while we're uh, with you today. If uh, you're one of our longtime listeners, thank you guys so much. We love you. Appreciate the community, all the comments and feedback and support. Uh, and uh, thanks to Hebrew Nation for allowing us to do this uh, show week in and week out. And uh, we love it. It's a great opportunity, and there's a great platform with a lot of incredible teachers. So uh, just... Hey, and how you doing? I hope your week is going well. Uh, if you are, again, kind of new to us, uh, I am the pastor at Out of Ashes Ministries in DeRitter, Louisiana, and uh, we are a Yeshua-centered, Torah-pursuant congregation, and uh, we are, we're just loving where God is leading us, and, uh, and we're loving that doing it with people that we find every day and every week uh, all across the country and all across the world. Uh, if you're looking for a Sabbath fellowship or if you have a fellowship that meets at a different time, you're just looking for something else to, to do during, uh, to, uh, you know, get into during uh, Shabbat, I'd invite you to join us. Uh, we live stream our Shabbat services at uh, 10 a.m. every Saturday morning. Uh, that's 10 a.m. Central. Uh, and we live stream to our website, outofashesministries.org, also to a free mobile app that we have, as well as to Facebook and to YouTube. And uh, then we cut out the teaching part usually and post that separately to YouTube or and to our website as well. Uh, so all these, all these things are archived for you. So uh, it's great to hang out and, again, to meet new people and uh, to just encourage each other on the journey. So... This uh, podcast, this radio show is really all about, uh, comes from uh, Genesis 1, Bereshit 1, where uh, God said, let us make man in our image. And uh, and so we, we're, we're not about religion, we're, and, you know, and, and, and specifically a religion. Uh, we're about asking questions, and we're about mining the scripture for everything that it has to offer, asking different questions, hopefully to get uh, better answers, maybe than some of the answers that we've given before. Uh, all in an effort, our only agenda really is to be able to bear uh, Hashem's image um, more precisely and, and more clearly in our world. Um, and so that's what we're all about. So we look at, tend to look at things a little bit differently sometimes, and uh, that's just kind of what we like. That's, that's kind of what we're here for. So I encourage you on your question-asking journey, and uh, we're going to get into this week's episode. This week, last couple of weeks, we've uh, replayed our Shabbat teachings because I really wanted you to hear those. Uh, we will be doing that again in another week or so, probably, uh, if our schedule works out. And uh, so, but today I'm here recording. I wanted to talk about uh, this week's parsha, which is Imor. Uh, and so, as we get into this week's parsha, we'll dive in. But first of all, uh, we always like to start out and just go to the Father with a, just a simple, quick word of prayer. 
Avinu Malkinu, our Father and our King, we bless you and we thank you for uh, all the ways that you're dealing with us and leading us. Thank you for your patience and your mercy. And Father, as we discuss your word and, and mine it for all of the treasures that are in it, let it be like a diamond that every time we turn it, we see something a little different about who you are. Welcome back. So uh, this week we are in Parsha Imor. Uh, last couple of weeks we've had a uh, double uh, portions, and uh, we're going to kind of piggyback off of last week's uh, portion or double, part of double portion uh, Kedoshim and get into Parsha Imor. Um, if you've never listened to us before, or if you have listened to us before, um, I, you need to understand something about the, the one of my passions and and one of the the lenses that I view Scripture through, and that is one of the temple. Uh, the tabernacle, sacred space. Uh, for me, all those things are very much in the same vein. And uh, so uh, we we study the tabernacle, we study the temple, uh, we study the offerings, we study the services, the language, the priesthood, uh, and and all of those things. And so that's that's really how we how we kind of see one of the lenses that we see scripture through. And everyone has a lens. Um, if you're listening to this, going like, "Well, I just read scripture for what it says." Well, you are, but you're reading it through your own lens. That can be background, uh, that can be upbringing, that can be uh, a pushback against a certain upbringing and a certain background. Um, I've gone through those times myself, uh, and, and I'll, and I can also be something that you've learned recently. Um, you know, many times we learn something new and we think like, this is the greatest discovery ever made. Like, why doesn't everybody know this? And we begin to see those patterns and those uh, images, those themes and things throughout all of Scripture. And I'm not trying to say that's not legitimate. I think it's very legitimate. Um, I just want, you know, to make sure that, uh, make it known that we, I have a lens too. I have lenses. And I think the really helpful thing is is getting so comfortable with looking at Scripture through different eyes um, that they're, they're, they're sort of like different reading glasses that we can take one off of the shelf and go, I'm looking for this theme or I'm looking for this idea. And we can take those off and put them back on and put another, uh, put them back on the shelf and put another set on and go, well, now I want to look through this, this particular theme or this particular uh, lens at the Scripture. So uh, we, we tend to have an ancient Near East uh, foundation and again, temple study and sacred space and all those things. So um, that's kind of how we uh, approach a lot of the a lot of a lot of scriptural things. And again, we're asking questions, and uh, I encourage everyone to just continue to push, continue to ask questions. It gets uncomfortable at times, but that's how we grow. We grow through through seeking, and um, you know, many of us, the way we grew up, uh, asking questions was was uh, you know barely even tolerated, maybe not even tolerated at all, depending on what background you come from, and uh, and so it. Can can be uncomfortable when we start asking questions. It can be weird. It can be uh, almost heretical feeling, you know, blasphemous kind of feeling. Um, but I believe that uh, when Yeshua said, come, you know, let the little children come and that we should approach Hashem as little children, I think curiosity is one of those parts that we've kind of left out. Yeah, we wanted the innocence of faith and we want the blind belief and all those kinds of things, blind trust. But curiosity is something that we've left out um, because I think it's something that um, that some religious institutions are scared of. 
and I don't want to sound like a conspiracy nut or any, any of that kind of thing, but, we, but I come from backgrounds, and I know that many of you listening, um, just through your convers- our conversations and stuff, many of you come from backgrounds that really just discouraged uh, curiosity. And, and that's one of the most beautiful things about children, right? If you have children or you've been around children, um, one of the, the most incredible things is their curiosity. They're never satisfied. Um, they're never satisfied with, uh, with things the way they are, with the answer you give given. They always want to know more and they always want to push deeper. And, and I think that's an important point of coming to Hashem as a child is that curiosity. And yet some of the ways that, uh, that uh, structures and systems and stuff have, have kind of trained us is to train curiosity out of us. And I think that's a really negative thing. And so, um, I, you know, I, I am encouraged all the time with people that are asking questions, uh, especially younger folks, millennials and, and that generation. It's, people are not asking questions for the most part, for the, for the majority. People are not asking questions because they're looking for a way to not believe. They're, looking, they're asking questions because this decision of faith is so important that they want serious questions answered. They're doing a little something called counting the costs, right? Where, where myself and maybe some of you listening, we walked an aisle or you know, we did whatever. We signed a card. We got baptized in our churches or whatever um, because that's what you did. Um, and yet there's a whole multitude of people out of there that are going like, no, it's not my experience and I want to understand these things and I want to deal with these things if I'm going to give my life over this. And I, I got to tell you, that's admirable. I had a pastor once that... Um, that really flipped the script on uh, on Thomas in the Gospels for me, and you know all my life I'd heard old doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas, and uh, and and he 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 preached a message one day um, that was called a sure man's uh, a sure man's gamble or a sure man's question or a sure man's evidence. I can't remember, but I remember the sure man part. And his point was um, really that you know it's not so much that Thomas may have been a doubter. But it's that Thomas may have understood it, what he was he was being called to, and 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 he wanted to know that if he was going to surrender everything, and his whole entire world was going to be turned upside down, his family, his livelihood, his whatever, um, that he was going to be sure he was going to count the cost, and and Yeshua honored that, and I, I just think it was a beautiful way of looking at. At Thomas, and so that's what we want to be. That's what we, you know, Berean, whatever you want to say it. That's what we're we're about. So, um, and it's a ten minute introduction. So forgive me for that little rat, you know, little uh, rant. And uh, well, we do that a lot. Those rabbit trails, and uh, that's what makes it all part of uh, makes it all part of the fun and part of the discussion. So last week, as I said, we were in uh, Akremot Kedoshim, or the was a double portion for last week uh, after the death and holy ones. And um, this week we're in Parsha Imor. Imor means uh, speak, and we'll see that in the um, in the the beginning part of the parsha, as we as we usually do. And so, what I want to start with is kind of going back and looking at at Kedoshim, uh, parsha Kedoshim, uh, in chapter nineteen of of Vayikra of Leviticus. Um, the, of course, the, the the name of the parsha kind of gives away what it is, and and that is holy ones. And um, it says in verse 1 of, of uh, chapter 19, it starts in verse 1, it says, Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, speak to the entire assembly of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy or holy ones, for I am holy, Hashem your God. Um, and so that's kind of how it sets the Parsha up. That's how it sets this, this section of scripture up. Um, 
Hashem speaking to Moshe saying, listen, I want you to speak to everybody, right? I want you to speak to everyone, the entire congregation, and I want you to be holy. And so we go through chapter 19, and um, we have uh, the different offerings and the different gifts that are given. Um, we have uh, how to deal with other people, um, honestly, and with integrity. Um, we have you know, how, to, how to love your fellow, uh, you know, your, your neighbor, your brother, sister. And of course, this is where Yeshua quotes from, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, we have things about clothing and seeds and forbidden mixtures. Um, we have uh, a, a section on fruit trees, which I think is awesome because uh, I love I love trees. Trees are all over in Scripture, and they're they're amazing, uh, amazing imagery and things. Uh, you have this is the portion where you first kind of introduced to equal weights and measures, um, and then we have things about idolatry, Molech in particular, um, and then we have forbidden relationships. We have land and holiness and kashrut, which is where we. Um, we get about the clean and unclean animals again and stuff. So there's, there's these general rules about living together in community. And Vaikra, the book of Leviticus, is, is really not a book to the, the common people of Israel. As a whole, the book of Vaikra is an instruction booklet to the Kohanim, to the priesthood, and, and to the Levites, and how they are to treat the, the holy tabernacle. That, that is kind of what, that is what Vaikra is all about. The name itself, Vaikra, um, it means, and he called, meaning Hashem called. That's the, it's in the first words of the book of Vaikra. And so the whole book, the theme of the whole book is Hashem calling his people to himself. And in the ancient Near East, in this world, um, we have from the beginning in, in Genesis and in Bereshit, we have uh, Eden and we have a garden in Eden, which is, in my opinion, a, a type of sacred space. And that's the image that it's trying to give. It's the, it's the priests of God, the first priests of God, Adam and Hava, um, doing work in the being the first priests and, and, and protecting and serving in the sacred space. And, and so they, and they get banished from that. They get cut off, so to speak, from that, cast out from that sacred space, right? And so as we're reading through the scriptures, we're reading through Bereshit, we're reading through Shemot, uh, through Exodus, where the question we should be asking is, well, how do we get back? How do we get back to sacred space? How do we get God's, got back to God's presence and back to this Eden, um, this Eden ideal? And what the tabernacle is, is it is a micro-Eden, it is, it is eaten kind of in the form of uh, curtains, and, and it's, it's creation all over again. It's new creation all over again. This is something that Christian scholars are, are through the last you know, couple decades, have, beginning to, have begun to really start to pick up on. Um, and again, I don't know about you, but in my tradition, like the tabernacle and temple, they were cool. Um, well, the tabernacle was, the temple not so much. They were cool to kind of think about and study only as it relates to, well, where is Jesus in these things? Where is Yeshua in these things? Um, and yet uh, scholarship in, in the Christian side of the family is coming around to going like, well, no, this is, this is really meaningful. And so um, we need to know what it was about and what it meant to that audience. And, and, so, and then how does that then apply to where we, how do we carry those things forward and apply them to where they are today? Um, Judaism has long understood throughout its history that the tabernacle, um, it, it's not magical, it's not mystical, like it's not, it's not any of these things that we in Christianity uh, kind of put on it. But the tabernacle is just a recreation of Eden. It's, it's, it's God's way of giving us a way to get back to Eden um, as we are transformed through, again, the offerings, the priestly services, uh, the holidays, the Shabbat, all, all these different things. 
as we are transformed, we, we make steps closer back to, to the Eden ideal. Uh, and then, of course, we know as, as Christians, we know that in the end of the story, in the end of Revelation, everything is created, Eden is restored, right? So it's, the Bible is one big circle, and I just think that's amazing uh, and something that we, we, we kind of need to remind ourselves because it's very cool. And so this idea about Vayikra, it's, the whole book of Vayikra is about God calling. It's about God calling his people to him. Um, for the Israelites and for every culture around them, that was through a priesthood and through a temple uh, or through a tabernacle and, 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 and services and rituals and things like that. It doesn't make it cold and, uh, you know, and, and impersonal. Uh, it's their way. It's their vehicle. And so in, in uh, chapter 19, again, in, in Parsha Kedoshim, in chapter 19 of Vayikra, you have this, this thing about God telling the people, I want you to be holy. Right. But it, it, it spends more time on relationship to each other than it does on relationship to Hashem, to God. And why is that? That's an interesting question. Why does Parshat Kedashim? So you have, you know, it's only a couple of chapters long. It's 19, 20, uh, a couple chapters long. Um, and we deal with the offerings and the gifts to the, the poor and stuff, uh, which kind of go together. And then you immediately get into relational type um, type of, of issues. You get into relational type of, of commandments and mitzvot. Um, another interesting thing is that um, in, in, you know before that in Akare, uh, Mot, uh, after the death of uh, Nadav and Avihu, Aaron's sons, um, you have again these uh, these relationship commandments and, and all these kinds of things. It's very communal, and not so much to do with worshiping in the temple or worshiping in the tabernacle. Um, I mean, again, you know, in Kedoshim, you got like stuff for fruit trees and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, how are you holy apart from the tabernacle? And, and, and in, our, in some of our understanding, our training, our, our upbringing, um, you know, we sing songs like, you know, uh, better is one day in your courts, you know, oh, to be in your presence, et cetera, et cetera. And, and for us, it, that's what it's all about. That's the, the, uh, the, the epitome of holiness. That is the, the peak of the mountain as far as closeness, intimacy with God, holiness, righteousness, etc., etc., is to be in his presence. However, when we read the Hebrew scriptures, that is not at all um, the same idea for the, the, the non-priests of Israel. They are, they are called to be holy apart from living and working in and around the temple and the tabernacle. And I think that's a, a, a really neat adjustment and, a, and a, maybe a tough adjustment for us to make. Um, we, we tend to say, well, like, you know, we, uh, I'm not a pastor, I'm just a this. Or I'm not a worship leader, I'm just this. Or I'm, you know, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not an apostle, I'm not a prophet, I'm just, you know, I'm just an insurance agent or I just, I'm pipeline or, or I'm just, whatever. And, and I think we have that really upside down. Um, and it's, it's interesting to me that you have these couple of chapters, the, all these mitzvot, all these commandments that are, are about being holy in community, um, not attached to the service in the temple, in the tabernacle, excuse me. Not attached to the service in the tabernacle. We're going to deal with that. But these commandments are for the whole entire congregation. And so we... We need to focus on, as the, the people of God, we need to focus on how our standard of holiness, as it relates to one another, this, you know, this should bring up 
um, New Testament ideas, even Yeshua himself saying, if you, if you bring your gift to the altar, right, and you remember that your, your brother has, you've sinned against or he's sinned against you, whatever, leave your offering and go and make it right. Because if holiness is not in the camp and holiness is not interrelational and holiness is not communal, and respect and integrity and character and, and all of those things, then it, it doesn't matter then what it, the, the going to the tabernacle and, and presenting an offering and, and eating the offering or you know presenting the offering for the priest to eat or eating it with the priest or even an Olah, complete burnt offering. None of that is going to make you holy if you can't go back home and be holy there. And so it, it starts in community. It starts there. And so I would argue that, you know, we... We can't come to Sabbath congregation or, you know, if, back in Sunday church, you can't go to the altar and cry your eyes out and pray and, uh, you know, and, and plead with God to forgive you and to change you and all of those kinds of things um, and, and feel really good about where you are and feel like you got a spiritual breakthrough maybe and then go back into community and not be different. If that's what we're doing, then maybe that's that's backwards. Not maybe. It is. It's backwards. There is a, a, a there is a holiness to community, and there is a holiness to treating each other right. That I believe personally is equal to, at least equal to the service that is done in the tabernacle. I know that's a big statement, and some of my temple teachers would probably disagree with that statement a little. I want to tweak it a little bit, but there's a reason that Hashem says, "I want you all, all y'all, I want all y'all to be holy." And this is to not just the Kohanim and the Levites. This is to the entire nation. There's something really, really powerful there and really important there. It's about how we deal with each other. This directly falls within the two categories that Messiah said, you know, hey, what is the greatest commandment? Love Hashem your God, right? That's that's top. And the second one is like it. And, and I, I know I have struggled before with that second one being like it. That you love your neighbor as yourself. Well, doesn't it, I mean, wouldn't it be that, that the service to Hashem and love to Hashem would be, uh, you know, there would be nothing beside that? No, because even here in the book of Vayikra, in this, this, this book that many of us really don't even read, don't like to read, it's, it's a slog sometimes, you know, or it's, it's tough. But even here, we're finding this idea that there is, there is holiness in community, and that's, that's where holiness is rooted. That's where it's seeded. It's seeded in community. Leaders that will come out of that kind of community, of a holy community, of a righteous community, leaders that come out of there will be righteous leaders. Children, generations that come out of a holy community that understands how to treat each other with respect and dignity and honor, those generations will continue to be righteous. Right? So this this community and, and, and the congregation of Israel and the congregation of wherever you are, that's where holiness really needs to be seeded and really needs to be cultivated and grown in that holiness. And so I would encourage you, you know, if you've never kind of looked at it like that, go back and read uh, Parsha Kedoshim. Uh, and look at look at how this is common, everyday, ordinary. These are your farmers and your metal workers and your whatever, um, your tradesmen and your you know moms at home and and grandmothers and aunts and uncles, whatever. This is how you treat each other. And uh, we we get into the specific you know mitzvot, but um, it, this is where about it's about holiness. Holiness doesn't just reside in the tabernacle. Holy does holiness just doesn't reside in Shekinah. 
Um, holiness just doesn't reside at the front of your Sabbath meeting stage or platform or whatever, whatever you have. Um, holiness is about how we deal with other people. It was super important to Hashem. Uh, it was super important to Yeshua. It was super important to the prophets. We read over and over in Isaiah and Jeremiah how, how God directly relates his relationship to the nation as a whole as to how they're treating each other, right? And so the New Testament again says, you know, if you, you can't be forgiven if you can't forgive. And, and God says, how can you love me? How can you love a God who you have not seen if you can't love your brother who you have seen? Right, So taking those ideas and those quote-unquote New Testament concepts and anchoring them back in this, these two parshas, uh, parshot with Kedoshim and Imor, kind of give us that foundation and help us to understand that it's not God over relationships, it's God in relationships. And that's the, that's the big difference and that's the, the things that we got to get to work together in order to see this whole beautiful mosaic picture uh, correctly. We'll be right back right after the break. everybody welcome back to the second segment in this episode of image bearers radio and i hope you're enjoying this discussion about holiness and um in the these ideas that we found uh in the the like i said the new testament about loving your neighbor as yourself about leaving your offering if someone has offense against you uh about not being forgiven if you can't forgive and about uh, loving god whom you've not seen if you can't love man whom you have seen um, those things are not in competition with one another, um, and it's it's impossible for us to close ourselves off and go, well, I'm holy regardless of the people I'm around. I'm holy. I pray. I study my Bible. I spend time in worship. I give, you know, I do good deeds. I this, you know, whatever, um, regardless of how I treat people. Um, you can't give one service to God and look at it as, well, this is my this is my worship, this is my service to God, and then treat people poorly, and think that those things are not connected. These two parshot, Kedoshim and Imor, tell us that they are exactly connected. Um, that that holiness really begins in community, and so um, as we go into parshat Imor, um, this is in Vayikra chapter twenty one. It starts. And it begins by saying, Hashem said to Moses, say to the Kohanim, the sons of Aaron, and tell them. And it goes in about the laws of being a Kohen, right? And so in contrast to chapter 19, you have all the people, all the congregation in chapter 19. In chapter 21, you have specifically to the Kohanim, uh, to the priests. And, and this is just a few chapters long as well, uh, but you have laws for the, the Kohenim, the sons of Aaron, uh, and, and their lines, and you have uh, laws for the, the Kohen Gadol. Um, you have ideas about blemishes, about offerings, about you know different blemishes on the offerings themselves. Um, 
et cetera, chapter 23, of course, is the landing zone for uh, the Moedim, the, the feast days. And chapter 24 begins to talk about uh, the menorah and, uh, you know, and the, the elements uh, inside the, the tabernacle. Lechem uh, hapanim, the table of, uh, of bread, uh, the bread of faces, actually, but the showbread, we call it. And so Parshat Imur kind of uh, narrows down to talking about the priest. And I want to kind of expand on this kind of what I want to get to for this week's episode. Um, I was visiting with someone, it's been a couple years ago, and we were talking about um, ecclesiology. That's a big word. Um, But basically, the the big kind of Christian foundational way to think about ecclesiology is called bilateral ecclesiology. So in other words, God has a plan for Israel, and he always kind of has. And he also has a plan for Christians or for, you know, for Gentiles. And those things run bilateral to each other. And at some point, you know, they both have a place in, um, in the, the, the plan of God, of course, right? And we, I was talking to this, this guy about this, and, and he dropped something on me that was just like, right? It was one of those mind-blowing moments. And he talked about radial ecclesiology. And those are big words. Don't get caught up in the words. But radial ecclesiology. And... And I immediately, when he said it, I got a picture in my in my head, kind of like you know crop circles in the in the, the cornfields in Nebraska or whatever. But this kind of like this picture popped into my head about the uh, of these concentric circles, and so um, and then it kind of all started to layer on top of each other as I started to to think about it, meditate, and, and study it out more. So if you think about um, if you think about the garden, right? We'll go back to Bereshit 1. If you think about the garden, you have, um, you have some distinct places that are mentioned in the first few chapters of Bereshit. Um, you have, of course, the, the cosmos and the earth in, in chapter 1. But then you have this, this place called the garden, right? Which is the, it's the center. Let's think about it. The center is the, the garden, uh, the garden. And then you have Eden, Right, which is this place around the garden? We don't know what that necessarily looked like from a you know geographic standpoint, but you have you have the garden in the middle and or you know inside and you have Eden, and then outside of that you have something called the field. Um, the field is the wilderness. This is the place where where there's where's chaos. So order starts at the at the garden. And spreads throughout Eden, and and then the field is the areas where there's no godly order, and and uh, and so that's that's kind of how we think about concentrically how we think about those things. Um, so it's a it's a three tiered system, and so when we look and see the tabernacle being built, right, we have the, it, these all layer on top of each other. So inside the tabernacle itself, okay, inside the tabernacle, we all know this, we have the um, the uh, Holy of Holies, which is in the middle, right? And then outside of that, we have the holy place. Outside of that, we have the courtyard, right? That's the tabernacle itself, the, the main part of the sanctuary inside the curtains. And so you have this kind of three-tiered thing in the, the, the tabernacle itself. And if we kind of zoom out from that, you have all of Israel encamped around the tabernacle. So you have the tabernacle in the middle as a whole, Outside of that, you have the camp of Israel. Outside of that, you have the wilderness again, or the, the field, as we would call it, 
and, and Dr. Dina Dye has done a lot of uh, writing on this and teaching on this, and it's really interesting. I would encourage you to go and listen to her, her stuff on this. She does a much better job of explaining it than I do. But this tertiary or this three-tiered uh, or three-phased kind of structure, um, in, in creation you have the, the heavens and the earth and you have under the earth. And, and so this tripartite um, type of structure is really, really prevalent in, uh, in Scripture and in, in all of these writings. So if we think about that, instead of as in tiers, as high to low, if we think about it in concentric circles, and, and if that word's big and confusing. Concentric just meaning you start with a dot in the middle and then you have a circle outside of it and then you have a circle outside of that one and a circle outside of that one and they continue to, to go on kind of like a, um, a ripple, right, happens. And so if we think about that um, in terms of ecclesiology, then what's in the very center? In the very center is Israel. And, uh, or in the very, I guess maybe it would be the priesthood. And, and then outside of that, or the high priest. And then outside of that would be the priesthood. Outside of that would be the Levites. Outside of that would be um, the nation of Israel. Outside of that would be the nations. And, um, and, and it fits the tabernacle model. It fits the temple, the sacred space model. It fits the model of, fits the model of creation. Um, you have Hashem, which is in the middle. And then you have us, which are closer. Then we have nature and the animals, which are outside of that. And so it's, it doesn't have to deal with levels necessarily of of closeness to God, in other words, more love or more, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to do that. We're like, well, I'm just an, I'm just an outsider. You know, I'm just a Gentile. The, the Israelite people, the Jewish people, they're closer. So they're more, I don't want us to get that idea because that's not the, that's not the, the vein I'm trying to explain at all. That's not the, you know, the, the attitude that I want to approach this with, because I don't believe that's, that's accurate. But if we take the temple model, we've just seen where God spoke to all the people, right? He spoke to the whole congregation, and then he kind of narrows in. And in the first part of chapter 21, he goes, now speak to the Kohen, the Kohenim, right? These are Aaron's sons. And there are going to be some laws that are just for them that are over and above the laws for the rest of the people. And then you get down to the laws of the, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, and there are going to be laws um, specifically for him that no one else has to carry. Right? There are going to be laws over and above what is for the, the Kohenim and then what is over above again the rest of the nation of Israel. So I hope that's, that's making sense. And the important part about this is kind of going back to our, you know, our songs. And, and my temple teacher, Joe Good, says, you know, songs don't make good doctrine. And, and that's so true. And a lot of times we build our doctrine, we build our theology based on the songs we sing. And that's kind of dangerous. Um, you know, I used to love the song, Better is One Day in Your Courts, right, than thousands elsewhere. Um, oh, to be in your presence, right? It's where I belong. Um, and when we, when we read Scripture, though, and we look at, at Isaiah, uh, Isaiah had a vision, right, where he was, he was in the temple. He was in the throne room. And when you read it, Isaiah is scared to death. He's not leaping and jumping going like, yay, I'm in the presence of Hashem. Yay, you know, this is, I've wanted this my whole life. This is great. That was not Isaiah's reaction, right? Like we want to talk about just sit on God's lap and, and, and I understand. I'm not criticizing those things. I'm saying the way we think about it is different than the way the Bible thinks about it. And, and so we need to at least assess that and see, you know, where we can make some improvements maybe and where we can make some little tweaks here and there. Isaiah is not excited 
He's not like, this is it. I'm, I'm finally, you know, finally I made it in the presence of God. That's not his thing at all. He is scared for his life because someone who does not have the, and here's the word, kedusha, kedusha, um, who does not have the, the, the status of being in the throne room, of being in the presence of God, if someone doesn't have that status of kedusha, the only other option is for them to die. There's no like, oh, well, I'll make an exception you get to be because your heart is really right. Oh, well, I'll make an exception because, you know, you really tried your hardest. You really prayed and you really shouted and you really danced. And, you know, you're, obviously your faith is very, very full of fervor. Like God doesn't make those, those um, you know, those accessibilities. If you're, not, if you're not the high priest on the day of Yom Kippur and you're in the presence of God, something's, something bad is about to happen. You're about to die. And, and what happens to Isaiah, in, in a way, he does die. Um, the coals get touched to his lips, right? And, and that part of him that is not surrendered to Hashem, or that part of him that is unclean in that sense, is, it, it, gets, it, it dies, it gets killed. And so you have, um, you, you, you have this, this thing where we need to rethink about a little bit how our theology relates to what the Bible and how the, the biblical uh, texts actually think about and the biblical writers actually think and, and uh, you know, talk about sacred space because it's really super important. Um, so we have uh, in chapter 22 of Leviticus, it goes on to uh, safeguarding the, the offerings, right, and the trumah. You notice that these, these mitzvot, these commandments and instructions are not given to the people. The offerings and, and the, the, the things that, that people use to draw near to God or, or to, to show that they are drawing near, or that's already happening in their hearts, that they're drawing near, the symbol of them drawing near, um, is God doesn't spend a lot of time in the, the last uh, Parsha about making sure that um, you, know, you raise uh, unblemished animals, etc., etc. He doesn't spend a lot of time on that to the common people. Because that's the Cohen's job. That's the Cohen's job, the, the priest's job. And so chapter 22 is, it begins off about the, the sanctity of offerings and the, the free will offerings and all these, these kinds of things. Uh, and then it talks about terumah. It spends a whole lot of time talking about blemished offerings and blemished animals, right? Um, he says in verse 17, Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, speak to, the children of, uh, to speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel and say to them, right? So he does address it to everyone. And yet the onus is on the, the Kohenim, the, the, the Aaron and his sons, to be the, the ones that are kind of the quality check for these, these kinds of things. This is their job. This is what they do. This is their status, right, and what they get to do. So when we're talking about uh, radial ecclesiology, we have kind of Israel as a center. We've talked about that. I came up with kind of a way to think about this as radial kedusha. And, and so, again, addressing this idea that, like, we want to be in God's presence, right? We want, that's where we want to be. We want to find ourselves. And yet there is a, there is a standard to this. There is a, a, a status to this. Um, you know, we, we have the Kohen Gadol who gets to go in and experience the, the Shekinah, the, the, the dwelling presence of God, the cloud. Moshe went up on the mountain after, you know, I think it was his seventh time up the mountain, and he goes up into the cloud, right, um, and spends 40 days there receiving instructions and the, the tavnit, the blueprint for the, the um, mishkan, the tabernacle, and all the, the garments and all this stuff, right? And, 
so we we have the 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 Kohen Gadol that later would be able to go into the the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur and experience the Shekinah. The the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, has an access to God that n- that not everybody else has. That maybe nobody else has. Right? He has an access to God that that is unique to him. On the other hand, and, and we all want that access. We want that, we want that, I'm going to walk into, you know, we want Moshe's access. I'm going to walk into the Ohel Ed, the tent of meeting, and God's going to meet with me there. You know, I'm going to close my eyes and bow my head, and God's going to meet with me there. And yes, he does. Yes, he does. Baruch Hashem, thank God he does. He is faithful that way. But in the way we think about it, we, we, need, we need to rethink kind of how we, how we understand the biblical text, the, the biblical narrative, and that the high priest has more access than anybody else in the nation. And yet, for that access, or in, in relation to that access, he has more uh, restriction, more laws, more, um, more kedusha than anybody else. In order, to, in order to, to maintain the kedusha that he has, let me say it like that, in order to maintain the kedusha that he has, the, the holiness that he has, he has to have a more stringent existence. He has to have a more stringent existence. He can't do a lot of the things that everybody else can do, right? He can't, he can't mourn for his loved ones like, like the rest of even the, the Kohenim themselves can. It says in chapter, um, chapter 21, verse 10, for instance, it says, the Kohen who is exalted above his brethren, there it is, upon whose head the anointment oil has been poured or who has been inaugurated to don the vestments. So basically the, the Kohen Gadol, um, you can think about it like this is the way to think about it. In, in Scripture, in the Tanakh, Kohen Gadol is Mashiach. He's Mashiach. He's Messiah. Because the word uh, Messiah means to anoint, the anointed one, right? He's the anointed one. His oil has been poured on his head and he's been inaugurated as the high priest. That same word in a verb form is mashak, to anoint, to pour. And so he's the one who not only has the oil poured on him, but he dons the vestments. He dons the, the golden vestments. Um, it says that uh, he shall not leave his head unshorn and shall not rend his garments. So what is that about? What is sh- uh, shearing your head and rending your garments? That's about mourning, right? That's about mourning. And, and so it says in verse 11, he shall not come near any dead person. He shall not contaminate himself to his father or his mother. He shall not leave the sanctuary and he shall not desecrate the sanctuary of his God. For a crown, the oil of his God's anointment is upon him. I am Hashem. He shall marry a woman in her virginity. A widow, a divorcee, a desecrated woman, a harlot, he shall not marry these. Only a virgin of his people shall he take as a wife. Thus he shall not desecrate his offspring among the people. And again, that refrain that we see over and over through this section of of Scripture. For I am Hashem who sanctifies him. So interestingly, a couple notes on this. Um, So for the Kohenim, right, the sons of Aaron... The Kohenim, we're told in uh, verse, in verse uh, 1 and 2, uh, let's see, uh, he shall not contaminate himself to a dead person among his people except for the relative who is closest to him, to his mother and to his father, son, daughter, and his brother. The relative that is closest to him, Rashi says that is your wife, okay? 
So you've got a cousin that dies. You, you, can't, you can't participate. Um, you've got, you know, I mean, I grew up, my cousin was my best friend. You know, we pretty much lived at each other's houses. That's, not, that's a no-go. That's a desecration. Uh, because when you, you become unclean by that, you carry that into the temple, into the tabernacle. And that, that desecrates the house of God. And so that's a, that's a no-go. You may think, man, that's, that's pretty strict, right? But, but remember who we're talking about, right? These koanim, these are the ones that work on the altar and they, and they serve in the holy place. They, they take care of the menorah and they, they take care of the showbread and the incense altar. Like these are, the, th- these are right there. These guys live just feet away from the presence of indwelling presence of God. That's a huge deal. And so the restriction is tighter. And then when we get to the, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, as, uh, as we read before in, in verse 10, the Kohen who is exalted above his brethren, right? There's an ornament all. We talked about that. Um, it says that uh, in verse 11, he shall not come near any dead person, any. He shall not contaminate himself or his father or his mother. He shall not leave the sanctuary and he shall not desecrate the sanctuary of his God. This is talking about the death of a, of a loved one. Not even, for, not even for his wife can he leave the divine service and go to, to mourn for his wife. And we think, God, that's really harsh. Or I do at least. I think, jeez, that's really harsh. You remember back a couple of parshot ago where Nadav and Avihu and Akrimot last week, when, uh, and Akrimot, when, when uh, Aaron's sons, right, brought strange fire, alien fire, whatever your translation says. And what did Moshe tell Aaron? Don't say a word. Or Aaron didn't say a word. He said, stay, you know, he, I mean, it was pretty harsh. Like, whoa, Moshe, well, the guy's son's just, you know, just combusted, like from the inside. What are you talking about? Uh, let, you know, give the guy some, some mercy. But see, this is about, this is about upholding the Kedusha that is given to you, that is, um, imputed to you, if you want to say, to use a, a New Testament term. The, the, Hashem calls that, that high priest and those priests and gives them a, a, a standard of holiness, gives them a measure of holiness. And it's up to them to maintain and to preserve that holiness. And this is where this idea of Radio Kedusha comes in. And so, you know, let's say on one of the outside circles, you have an, an Israelite farmer, Right? who he, he's worried about feeding his family. He's worried about praying for rain. You know, like those are the things that consume his life. He's worried about, you know, he's bringing offerings every day and, and, he, and he does that. And, and he, but he's worried about his family and his livelihood, right? He doesn't have all these restrictions, but he doesn't have access like the priests do. Right? He doesn't have access like the priests do. But he also doesn't have to worry about taking, he doesn't have to worry about these, these mitzvot, these commandments. Right? And then you have the Levites who have more, uh, more, have more accountability than the farmer. But he has less access than the Kohenim. And so access in, in the tabernacle is tied to your, your level of Kedusha. And so as I started to learn this, I, I immediately, my mind always goes, every time I, I study this or think about this, my mind immediately goes to uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 12, where Yeshua is 
he, he basically is turned from the crowd and turns to the disciples and, and he's, he's giving them parables and he's teaching them and he teaches about the, the, the master um, and the thief that comes, right? And he, in Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 44, he says, I tell you, the, the master, or 43, excuse me, blessed is the servant whose master finds him so doing when he comes, right? The, the, the faithful manager. And he goes on to say, if that, uh, truly I tell you, his master will put him in charge of all his possessions. This whole parable is about guarding the master's property and the master's possession. Guarding, that's a priestly term, right? Um, a shamar. To, we, it's translated to keep a lot in our Bibles, but another way to look at it is to guard. And that's really, really important. And so this parable is all about the servant, uh, the manager guarding his master's possessions because they are so valuable to him. And we'll, we'll go out down through the, the bottom. The verse I really want to get to, verse 47, it says, That slave who knew his master's will but did not prepare or act accordingly to his desire will be harshly whipped. But the one who did not know and did things worthy of a beating will be whipped lightly. From everyone given much, much will be required. And from one who more is provided, all the more they will ask of him. This is this verse just absolutely blows my mind every time I read it. Because you see, in the tabernacle, it was about what Kedusha was assigned to you, given to you, and how that gave your access. And I want to be really careful about how we talk about this. Not to Hashem. I believe the Israelite farmer, his prayers were heard just as much as, as the, the Kohen Gadol. I, I believe that. And so it's not about you know, intimate relationship with God. It's about the presence and, and, and about the, the, the way that we think about um, what we, how God moves in our lives. It is based on what are you doing with what you have. And some of us have been given a lot and we're not doing squat with it. And we wonder why life is not working. It's because to him who much is given, much is going to be asked if you want more of God, you have to give more, surrender more, sacrifice more, serve more. So I hope you can meditate on this a little bit this week. We'll be back with you again next week. Until then, shalom, shalom. Shalom. 